0: I'm so blessed that you're taking a few moments to watch a message from Transforming Truth online. Uh, I know it's going to be a blessing to you because anytime we open up God's Word, we're blessed. So my prayer for you is that you hear what's about to come forth, that it is mixed with faith, so it'll be a prophet to you. And I pray this. I pray that your soul expands. I pray that your spirit is strengthened. I pray that your eyes are enlightened. And I pray the Word of God does exactly what it's been doing for ever since it's been around. That is to draw us closer to the Son of God, who's Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's get into the Word. Joshua 4, 1, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, "'Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, "'Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests' feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight.' Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, "'Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God "'into the midst of the Jordan, "'and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, "'according to the number of the tribes "'of the people of Israel, "'that this may be a sign among you, "'when your children ask in time to come, "'what do these stones mean to you? "'Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priest bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people passed over in haste it's time to cross. It's time to cross. It's time to step intentionally into that place of blessing where there are thousands of questions, but only one clear command. God says, which one is going to own you? The clear command are the thousand unknowns. For people of faith, the command is all we need. Crossing over fully by faith into what God has for us. So, Father, now, in the name of Jesus, there must be your power on these words this morning. Be the preacher. Holy Spirit, let me stand as an oracle this morning. Let the words that proceed from my mouth source themselves in your heart and let them find root in the heart of those that will listen with faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Twice there is the phrase, a man from every tribe, and it's not lost on me that today is Father's Day, but I really don't want to preach a Father's Day message, so uh, forgive me. I I, I feel so uh, propelled. With the force of the kingdom this morning, that a gender or a holiday just isn't sizable enough to contain what I think the Lord is saying to Newbridge Church and those of you that have um, connected with Newbridge Church. Uh, we're a family. We're a family that believes that God has raised us up for unique purposes in this generation. That's not a marketing ploy. It's just a, an, an an inward um, certainty in our hearts. Our history is unconventional with a, 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 a Pentecostal assembly merging with a Baptist assembly, both assemblies saying yes and amen to the authority of the Word and the necessity of the Holy Spirit. We are a New Testament. Um, gathering of believers, and we believe that God wants to bring revival, renewal, and refreshing through our church to our city and beyond the city of Lawrenceville, even beyond the county, believing that God has raised up new bridge and beginning in a seed, a germinating season of of offering us the, the wonderful privilege of stewarding regional influence for the glory of Jesus Christ it will not be about a man or a group of men. It will about be about the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, and his glorious Father who has given us this assignment. And so as we're thinking on these things, the one thing that we are jettisoning, we're, we're offloading the cargo of religion. We're saying that we don't want to be a religious group of people. We want to figure out what it means to march out our redemption We want everything that the Father has for us. We want the seen and the unseen, the known and the unknown. We want the 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 best that our disciplines can bring us, but we will rely on the best of God's power that he offers us. And so as we're thinking in these days about our future, we're not thinking what can we do and tag God's name to it. We're saying, Lord, what do you want to do? And Lord, when we say yes to this, as we are saying yes daily, weekly, monthly, incrementally as you reveal, Lord, it will be bigger than us and we know we can't do it apart from your presence and your power. We're crossing over something. We're saying goodbye to the land of manna, which God gave them to get by for 40 years in Israel. And we're saying yes to a land flowing of m- with milk and honey, which in the next chapter, God says, when they celebrated the Passover, they never had manna again because God was letting them eat out of the land of their destiny. And so as we think on these things this morning, may the Holy Spirit preach His own message to all who have ears to hear. See God enlisting men in verses 1, 2, and 3. And ladies, don't be, feel left out. This is for you too, sister. See God enlisting men. First of all, recognize with me that it was no ordinary season. The Bible says that all that we're about to talk about occurred when the nation had finished passing over the Jordan. It was then that the Lord began to command Joshua to do something that the nation was meant to never forget. Do you remember how the Jordan split? All of the people were on this side of the Jordan, And God had commissioned the priest to go in with the ark of God. And as they stepped into the mighty Jordan River, the waters parted, much like the Red Sea did some 40 years earlier. And so the walls of water stacked up, and immediately the ground that was exposed was dry. And the priest moved in to the dry part of the river bottom, and now the waters were stacking and over a million some some estimate 2 million people began to cross over the jordan river The Bible says that all that is about to happen only occurred when the people said yes to what God spoke to Joshua the leader as they began to follow. And I want you to get real with me for a minute because there is the temptation in us to paint this scene as everybody walking through saying, yeah, everybody charging through saying, here we go. But human nature is as such that I promise you something that as they were walking through, not everybody had emotional or spiritual buy-in. They didn't all go through, I doubt, with gusto, with, yay, God, or, here we go, let's tackle Canaan. I guarantee you, as they walked through the midst of the making of a miracle, and they saw danger on their left side piled up in a heap of water and a wall of danger on their right side, and they knew that they're walking carefully through the moment of a miracle, I guarantee you, it wasn't all smiles. As a matter of fact, we're going to find out later, the Bible says they got through that really quickly. They move through quickly, mamas with babies. Uh, people that were not fully abled in their body that had to be carried, people that didn't have faith. And think about the moment when you're walking through a situation where God's moving in in that kind of capacity. Think about the ripe opportunity of the enemy to accuse you of every wrongdoing you've ever done and tell you every step of the way, the next step, the water's coming down on you. The next step, the judgment's going to fall on you. The next step. And so it would have been an admixture of people, very much like a church today, people that were convinced and saying, we're going to tackle the land we're going to conquer the enemy other people that would have been skeptical saying i don't know what's going to happen but i'm going through because the lord has taught me to obey even when my emotions aren't telling me to do it with gusto my spirit is telling me i will obey the father and so you've got that kind of people that are moving through in the middle of a miracle and they're seeing it happen this was a defining moment in the history of israel that the land promised to Abraham was now going to become theirs, and it began on the day that they crossed the mighty Jordan. It was an opportunity also to represent. They crossed all the way over. The priests are still standing in the midst of it. They stood there the whole time. Those intercessory priests holding back the waters with their presence and the presence of God on the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And they're still standing there. And Joshua says, from every tribe, let one man come forth. And he had already picked in the last chapter, he had uh, called out these men. And these men now come forward and they enter back into the dried riverbed. And they go down there, and Joshua says, I want each of you to do something. We'll talk about what they do in a moment. But I'm, 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 I'm moved by this statement, from every tribe a man. I do want to talk to the, to the men for a moment. You're living in the midst of a generation in the kingdom that is not business as usual. When we are looking at the world today, and we see the undeniable uptick of evil globally, There is no one nation that has a monopoly on evil right now. It is global. Violence, terrorism, genocide, oppression, racial prejudice. It is going berserk. There is all sorts of financial upheaval occurring in the world today. There are geological upheavals occurring in the world today. There are celestial things that are beginning to happen in the skies that are being noted. There is an increase of both frequency and intensity in earthquakes that are happening globally. You're not imagining it. There is something shaking going on in planet earth and above the earth happening in your generation. This is not a business as usual season. And what the Lord is doing is doing what he has always done in every generation. When the enemy begins to uptick his efforts, when the enemy begins to strategize and implement those strategies with all of the force of hell, let it never be thought by any of us that God is standing aloof and detached. Jesus said, I believe in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, you men know how to look at the sky and you can tell what season it is. Do you not look around you and see the signs of the age happening too? And we will have to be willfully ignorant and blind to say there's nothing new going on, nothing abnormal going on. Of course there is. And as the enemy is moving... And elevating his game, I'm going to make you a promise. God is elevating his game, if I can say it that way, also. The Lord does not allow his arch enemy, the one that has defied him for the whole history of the human race and before. God does not allow Satan to gain a foothold and God just ignore it perpetually. The Lord will allow enough trouble to humble the human race to the hope that we might call out to Him. But I'm going to tell you, in the end, if not a single soul called out to God for help and deliverance, God will bring down the enemy for His own name's sake. And those of us that have attached ourselves to the name of our God need to recognize that there's an opportunity to represent. In every tribe there needs to be a man. In, In whatever your tribe is, maybe it's your household. Maybe it is your greater extended family. Maybe it is your neighborhood. Maybe it's your community. Maybe you might be uh, identifying with with your your racial group. And you say, I I want in my tribe, I want to stand out as a man who believes the Lord. Whatever you want to define your tribe as, you may have multiple tribes, but I'm saying this, every tribe needs a man to step up. And God looked at Israel and Israel So said, Joshua, bring me out one of every tribe. By the way, ladies, just to make sure you're in on this, um, there's plenty of evidence in Scripture that there have been seasons where men won't step up, and that's where the sisters do. That's where the daughters of God, my my precious mother-in-law worshiping Jesus in heaven today, uh, her name was Deborah, and she's named after one of the most valiant women in Scripture. We have Deborahs here in this congregation. What did Deborah do? When none of the men would get their act together for the kingdom, Deborah said, okay, here we go. And our sister took care of business. So what I'm saying is this, is that anywhere in the kingdom, I hope you'll say, with King David, who stood looking at a trembling army, listening to the taunts of an uncircumcised Philistine named Goliath, and David looked at the army of Israel, and he said, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason to step up? Is, is there not a, an inward motivation to say this can't be faced with a business as usual tactic? Friends, we're living in darkness, but don't let that defeat you. Let that motivate you. We're living in a day where the enemy is growling and roaring and baring his teeth. But don't go hide perpetually in your prayer closet. Get out there and the Bible says you resist him. That means it's not simply hiding and and screaming when he comes to get you. It means you go out on the battlefield, you resist him, and he's the one that's put to flight. But we have to recognize that, that friends, it, it, it takes a willingness to move out of everything you knew from the wilderness wanderings and Move into all the unknowns that await you on the other side of Jordan. Israel did it, but God wanted to make sure they never forgot it. That's what this is about. This is a passage about God saying, I don't want you to ever forget what I did for you. You're about to start a new pilgrimage. You're about to start a season, a seven-year season of intense warfare with all the inhabitants of the land. I never want you to forget that I'm the God who parts rivers for you. I'm the God who makes a way for you. I'm the God who can take you from one hopeless inability to get to the other side, and I can make a way that never occurred to you. And so what does that look like? Verses 3 through 5. As God is enlisting men, he lets them know through Joshua it was time to shoulder the load. He says to Joshua, Command them. He says, Take, tell them to take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. And bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. That would be a place called Gilgal. And then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed. Here it is again. A man from each tribe. Brother, that is you. A man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. Take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder. According to the number of the tribes... Of the people of Israel, there's two things that stand out, and I'm going to move on to my next point. There's two things. First of all, men needed a command to respond to. How many of you ladies know that your man does not know how to take hints? <laughs> Isn't that true? Any newlyweds in the house? Anybody been married less than, than six months in the house today? Anybody out there? I don't see any hands raised, but I'm going to go ahead and encourage newlyweds to have this conversation as soon as you can after you say I do and you get back from the honeymoon. Go ahead and have the conversation where the, 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 the wife, the new wife is convinced that her husband did not bring a crystal ball into the marriage. That means he can't read minds. He's not even good at picking up hints. You can hint five times and he's still not gonna get it. You'll be mad at him. He doesn't even know he's missed anything. That's just the way the male mind typically works. Now, as years go on, we grow about maybe a quarter of a percent a year eh, every two years in gaining the ability to pick up hints. So, Amy and I have been married 20 years, and so I don't know what the math is there, but I'm at about 5% of her capacity to pick up on hints. Say, Jeff, why are you saying this to us? Because some men just need to be told what's real. They need, to, they need to hear it plain. They need to know what's on the line. They need to know what's expected. They need to know what's desired. And in marriage, that can kind of <laughs> siphon the romance out of the moment. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes he wants to do what he wants to do for you, but he doesn't know you want him to do it. So it's the same way in the kingdom. God doesn't hint around a lot with us. Sometimes God, and especially in an elevated season where things, there, there is so much on the line and there, there, there's an urgency in the atmosphere. God will just send a command. If I can be so bold... Is one of the leaders here at Newbridge Church. I want to say, men, this is a season for all of us to step up our kingdom game. That means it is a time of consecration. It is a time for us to uh, just kind of shut our minds to things that are of no profit and open our minds more greatly to the things that God is saying. One of the most encouraging things about what's going on at Newbridge right now is what's happening among the men in the Sederos men's ministry, both in in the The teachings on Wednesday nights, the projects on the weekends, the getaways where men are becoming not simply isolated, siloed kingdom men, but they're becoming a community of men. That is happening because God is desiring to raise up a move that not only has the love that, that women might bring to it, but also has the battle cry that a lot of men might bring to it. He wants our church to be whole. So they were commanded, brothers, I want to tell you, now's your season. The excuses of five years ago or 10 years ago or last year that are so convenient for all of us, God is going to, to ask us to intentionally say no to those things and to step up our leadership. You say, Jeff, I don't know how to lead. That's why you need other men. You grow with other men. You'll never learn it on your own. And and kingdom kingdom masculinity and kingdom manhood is primarily gained not from reading a bunch of books, but from by being with kingdom men who are living for kingdom purposes. And so that is being offered here. But gentlemen, you you have to step in. You have to walk through that parted Jordan River and say, I want what God has for me on the other side. Well, It also says again in that passage that the men are commanded to go into the Jordan and pick up a a stone and throw it on their shoulder. Now, this would not have been a small stone. This would have been a large bottom-of-the-river stone. I picture, like, big lumberjack-looking dudes, hairy, ugly, (laughs) dirty, going in there, getting in the muck. They're pulling it out. As they pull it out, you hear that... (laughs) You know that suction when you pull something out of the mud? Y'all have played in the creek, right? Okay. Y'all are looking very citified out there today. And and they're just putting it on the shoulder. And you see them walking out. And the priests are still standing there holding the ark. And you just see them walking out. And they bring it out. And eventually that evening they get to Gilgal. And Joshua has them build a memorial there. And this memorial is going to speak to something. And I'm gonna get that into a minute, but I'll get to that in a minute. But here's what I want to tell you. What God has for his children in the place of destiny, blessing, and inheritance is not absent of very hard work. Amen. We have to not we we don't need to pray for burdens that are uniquely tailored for our slim shoulders. We need to pray for broader backs to carry what God wants us to carry. I'm talking about in the spirit. And so when these men are are moving these hefty stones, I'm thinking to myself, it's heavy. It's not glamorous. It, 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 it's, you know, there's only 12 of them doing it, but, but they're representative of every tribe. And everybody in their tribe is seeing this one, daddy or grandpa or uncle or brother or son. They're seeing this one who is representative and he's part of something that God's doing. And what he is doing, he's not only doing in the moment for himself, but he's doing it for all of them. And there's an awareness of each man with every step he takes as he's carrying that big stone on his shoulder. He knows that it's something bigger than himself that he's a part of in that moment. All men are looking for that, by the way. All men are born with an innate desire to live for something greater than themselves. And unfortunately, the tactic of the enemy who prostitutes the purposes of God, the tactic of the enemy is to say, you're the best purpose you could ever live for. So we have an epidemic of men living intentionally, forcefully, urgently for themselves. That's why they're empty. That's why they're never satisfied. They've never worked harder than they're working now. They've never slept less. They've never been more medicated up. They've never looked at more porn than they ever have. They've never tried to satisfy this hollow heart more than they're doing right now in this generation. It's because they bought into the lie that says this. It says that if you can just live for yourself, you can make you happy. And it's antithetical to the purposes of God. So God says, no, you'd be happier carrying the burden that I put on your back, and taking it, representing a people that you belong to. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Either way, men, we're going to be carrying something that weighs down on our backs, spiritually speaking. But Jesus' burden is shared by him. Burdens outside of his will we carry them alone and we don't carry them long before we crumble. Joshua commanded the men, get the men, get the stones. By the way, if you've ever wondered where our friends too, uh, just down the street got the name of their, their, their church, 12 stone is a biblical name. You know, it's not just a random name, and, and it's a memorial. You drive down the road in, in their main campus, and you'll see the rocks put up there. And I think about this. Count them. They're 12. Count them. And I think about this every time, I think, that, 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 that statement, that passage in Scripture speaks of God stating to generations, I'm the God who never runs out of options, and I'm the God who gets my people where I want them to be and it's still true today. So go down into verses 6 and 7. We see Him enlisting the men in the first three verses, really the first five verses, and then we see God using men. What is all this about? Well, see God use men right here. First of all, He was using them to build up one another. They're told to do all of this work with the stones, so in the beginning of verse 6 it says, so that that this may be a sign among you. I have written on my notes these three words, or four words, the right now effect. Among you. God said, I'm going to do something today among you with your obedience to cross the river and to, to carry the stones and build me the memorial. I'm going to do something and everybody's going to be blessed and helped there's a right now effect to their unquestioning obedience to God. No nobody argued with Joshua Nobody said, ah, you know, you get your engineer types in there. Joshua, you know, 13 stones might actually work better because we can see here that we have a certain plot of way. And you get people that overthink the will of God sometimes. Listen, I love smart people. I don't count myself among your tribe, but hallelujah, I'm glad you've got a tribe. But I love the fact that some of you are geared as thinkers. You're made by God to think, to analyze, to process data. That's awesome, but I am going to tell you, make sure that your analytical uh, leanings are submitted to God in His Spirit. Make sure you don't make something that God made clear. By overthinking it, you make it murky. And so what happened here is nobody jostled with Joshua. And the plan was to put the stones down. And this is what God said. He said, it's going to be a sign among you. It was going to encourage them about what God had just done. Let me just ask a couple of questions. Are you slowing down in life in these days to just stop and marinate a little bit in what God is presently doing. Most of us are running a little too fast. Most of us have. I I was praying this morning, and one of the things that I pray regularly, because I just find myself in in this kind of zone all the time, Lord, I just need like an hour with no intrusive thoughts. Do you all ever get that way? Where, Where you're praying, and all of a sudden you're thinking about a text you didn't send? Or something you failed to pick up. You're, you're talking to the Almighty, and you're thinking, I didn't get those green beans at the grocery store last night. <laughs> yeah. You know, or, or my kids, that we packed that for her going to college next year. Da, 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 and and it just happens. And so I just pray, Lord, would you just put a buffer around my right, mind right now so I can just be with you? Making memorials. Listen, some of you have had breakthrough in your homes, I know it's not everything that you had hoped it would be. Listen, we are imperfect people, and we live in imperfect homes sometimes. And sometimes that manifests greatly. But don't let what's wrong smother what's right. Don't let what is not yet good take away from what is already good. And don't let the hectic pace of the American lifestyle rob you of your opportunity to set up 12 stones of memorial somewhere. My family... um, yeah, I can share this. We, we were given a, 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 some verses of Scripture by some people that care about us, and they wrote it out in calligraphy, and it was um, attached by um, yarn to a tent stake, a, a um, bronze tent stake. And I believe the passage, forgive me, my mind's somewhere else this morning. I think it was Isaiah 54, maybe, and it talks about uh, stretching out your tent and, and the stakes and moving them out, and it's God's way of saying, "I'm about to enlarge you. I'm about to spread your influence. I'm about to bless you in a way that your current, your current manner of life can't contain." And so Amy and I and the kids got out in the backyard. It's the first time we've done anything like this, and um, I believe Alicia read the scriptures, and then I had Landon. Pound that tent stake into the soft earth of our backyard. And I said, bury it all the way. I want it all the way down. And then Amy and I just kind of prayed and prophesied over our household. Now, that doesn't make us super spiritual because I've been married 20 years and my, I've had a child 16 years, 17 really, and we've never done this before. But what it did is it said, Lord, this is not an ordinary time. These are not ordinary callings. I'm not sensing ordinary stirrings. And so, Lord, we're going to do a prophetic act and we're going to drive this thing down to the ground because we we believe that you're a good God and you want to enlarge your work in our lives and through our lives. And so we made a memorial. Now, my hope is that my kids will never forget that. I know I will never forget it. But the, the fact of the matter is, is it took a long time to get there and I want there to be more of those for the Lyle household. And I want there to be things like that for you. You have to slow down, you have to turn off the noise, you have to listen. Some of you um, are are in a difficult home, you're a single parent and you don't have anybody to shoulder the load. But I wanna tell you something, you have a unique opportunity for the Lord Jesus Christ to be more to you than he is to those who have human help to shoulder the load. And I I want to tell you there, there are ways that you'll sense him that those of us that have more human help can't sense him. He wants to be more precious to you. Those who have the least help also have the greatest opportunity to experience his nearness and his power. So in this place, we love everybody, but we feel sorry for nobody, nobody that's blood-bought and washed and forgiven and brought into the family of God. Why? Because He's pressing in and He's saying to us in these days, He's telling us that we can enlarge our state, we can build our memorial, we can say that we never forget this is what our God has done and we can do it in the present. But not only in the present, it also has a next-generation effect. You see, God was using men to build up one another in the right now, but He was also going to enlighten the coming generation. Look at verses 6 and 7. Look at what God said. Here's one of the reasons why God was doing what He was doing. He said, "...when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off." Listen, We've got to embrace not only the right now effect, but also the next generation effect. Little Luke Daniel right there on the second row, a baby who's just a handful of months old. He is the precious, beautiful little boy of uh, Christina and Danny, and Danny plays drums here. And when when I look at him, I'm thinking, collectively, Newbridge, we're setting the table that he's going to eat from. Not only his parents and his grandparents, there's two sets of parents, grandparents in this church for, for little Luke, but, but collectively, we're Newbridge we're New Bridge family. We're, we're stewarding for the kingdom. He has no clue, sleeping there in his grandmother's arms this morning. He's not the only one to sleep in this place. Some I mean, of y'all need to wake up. Um, <laughs> Sleeping there in his grandmother's arms, he has, he has no clue what we're talking about. And, and God anticipated the need for the next generation to have something to remember what they weren't aware of when they were younger. And so the memorial, it, it's, a, it's a teaching thing. So when we we set up memorials where we drive tent stakes in the ground, where we say we're going to mark this moment, we're going to mark this date, we're going to mark this season, we're not only doing it for the right now effect, but God anticipates the curiosity of the next generation, and he also offers us the ability to steward what he's doing now forward, to be able to say this is why this is here because God did this, and we fill in the blank. And so, brothers and sisters, think about this. This is where we come out of our shells. This is where we come out of our, our, our self-enclosed cocoons. And we recognize not only are we stewarding our lives, but we're not just stewarding it for the present moment, we're actually investing our lives. How many of you know that with an investment, you release it in the present with the hope of what's coming in the future? Amen. That's, that's just the way investing goes. You don't plant in the same season you sow, but you do plant. And if you plant well, and you plant wisely, and you plant regularly, and you plant generously, our kids and the next generation, the grandkids, they're going to be able to reap. And so you've got the right now effect, you've got the next generation effect. You know, tomorrow our FM team goes, and they're going to be doing summer camps in three different states for the next month. And, and the reason why they're doing that is because somebody has sown into their lives Somebody has told them who God is and what God has done. And they have picked up the mantle of those that went on before them, and they are passing a mantle to those that are coming up behind them. Those teenagers and college students are going to be pouring into grade school students. Why? Because they know some things the grade schoolers don't know yet, but they don't want to keep what God has done to themselves. They want to invest it in the next generation. Brothers and sisters, right now I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to do a quick commercial here. We need some of your help immediately investing in the children that God actually sends to our front doorstep every Sunday. We need adults downstairs to work once a month to pour in to children. It's not babysitting. And you don't have to have 15 spiritual gifts to be down there. You need to have a willing heart trusting that God will use you, who he's made you to be. But we need help like immediately in that area as summer has found us. You see, it's not just doing your duty. It's saying, I'm going to plant something that's going to give a return. And when kids grow up and they ask, what is this for? I'm that adult who's going going to have the ready answer for them. So, moving forward, not only the next generation effect and the right now effect, but the forever effect. Look at the end of verse 7. They were to preserve a heritage of trust. So, these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. God desired that what He does among, God desires that what He does among His people is never forgotten. There's no such thing as a worn-out testimony because there's always new ears to hear it. See, the story may remain the same, but there are always fresh ears that need to hear what God has done. I don't do it as much as I used to because I've got more to say now, but I, I, I don't mind telling you that when God found me in 1994, what he found was a shriveled up, miserable, homicidal, suicidal, drug addict, and alcoholic who had been in and out of jail. Now, that's not impressive. But that's my testimony. That's what he found. And when I met the Lord Jesus Christ, and I was dead in in my trespasses and sins, what the Lord did is he took that sentence of death off of me, raised me up in the life of Jesus Christ. And the old Jeff Lyle that I know that used to do drugs and used to get high and used to do all the things that go along with that lifestyle, that fella's dead. I'm not ashamed of that because that fella's dead. That's not who I am anymore. And, and you know, I don't parade that around. I'm, I'm neither proud nor ashamed of it. It's just part of my story. But the central figure of my story is not me. That's why I can tell that story. The central figure of my story is the one who resurrected me, who saved me, forgave me, redeemed me, and sent me forth to tell that what He's done for me, He can do for you. And He's the same King that has blessed me with the, so many of what I've asked, so much of what I've asked for, so much of what I've sought after. He's good. He's always been good. And that's a forever memorial, friends. I want that to outlive me. I don't want my testimony to die with me. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I think it was, that said, uh, when I die, I hope that all of hell rejoices because I'm no longer in the fight. (laughs) That's good stuff right there. And I feel the same way. I want my life to make the devil mad while I'm living. I want it to make him happy when I'm dead, amen? So let's get down to the end of this. I know what time it is. We see God using men. We see God enlisting men. And Guys, ladies too, see God growing men. Growing. You're not done yet, brother. You're not done yet. You're not done yet. You're not done growing yet. You're still in process. You're not at the beginning. Say amen. But you're not at the end yet either. You're in the middle. So we see God growing men. Look in verse number 8. God grew them in their obedience. Brothers, hear this. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded. And they took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Now, this is beautiful if you'll look at it in the the paradigm of, of kingdom. It just looks like 12 guys carrying heavy stones. That's that's our viewpoint. But to God, it looks like kingdom. Why? Because it was from the heart of the Lord that the command came, take these 12 stones up out of the river from where the priests are standing. And they did, it says it twice there in those verses, they did exactly what they were told and how they were told to do it. Let me give us all this. We never outgrow obedience. There's a tendency, and I've done enough counseling, and I've been a Christian long enough to see it flicker in my own life, unfortunately. There's a tendency that when we are gifted, blessed, and obedient in many areas, there is the potential for us to allow for an area of permitted disobedience in our own life. You say, well, I mean, I'm not like that guy. Look at these nine areas where I am excelling. Look at at all this I'm doing for the Lord. And, you know, this one intermittent area, is it really that big of a deal? It's an unnecessary question. Disobedience is rebellion, and the Bible says rebellion is like sorcery and witchcraft. And so we are not blessed on a barter system. God never barters. Religion will teach you, you do good, and God has to do good to you. And so, a lot of people want to obey to get something good, or they they are afraid to disobey lest they receive something bad. That's not how God operates. God doesn't bless you because of your obedience. He blesses through your obedience. You see, God has parameters where He's going to pour out His best. And he's always pouring out his best right there within those parameters. Disobedience is simply stepping out of those parameters. And so you think you're getting punished. You're really not getting punished. Not to say that God doesn't discipline, but that's different than punishment. What you've done when you've lost anointing, when you've lost peace, when you've lost favor, when you've lost uh, clarity, when you've lost a sense of his presence. And that that can, I want to be careful there. That can happen for multiple reasons. But if, if you've got disobedience in your life, mark it down. That's why you lost it. It doesn't matter what else is going on. If I'm disobedient, what I've done is it's not God saying, I'm going to slam them, squash them like a cockroach. That's not the heart of the Father. It's it's simply this. God's raining down himself and his blessing and his presence and his provision and his power. He's raining it down in this area where he has ordained that we be, and we choose to step out of that by virtue of self-will. We miss what he's pouring down. So you say, well, Jeff, what do we do? (laughs) Get back cross over. Get where you're supposed to be. Not out here in the desert. Not out here in the wilderness. Cross through. He's made the way and get back in. You say, Jeff, how long will that take? Well, how long does it take you to repent? How long does it take you to to say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm sorry. Lord, I turn from that. I confess and I forsake my sin, and Lord, I come back, and immediately, if we're faithful and just to confess our sins, God is righteous, and He forgives us of our sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. See, they were obedient. Maybe today is a good day for just a a simple examination of the heart. And just to say, without getting legalistic or micro-inspective of our soul, just to say, Lord, have I given myself allowances... That you didn't give me? Have I taken steps, small ones, that have led me out of the place of blessing? Lord, I return because I can to obedience. They were obedient and they were growing in it. God also grew them in their devotion. Verse number nine. I'm almost done. I've only got one more verse left. Look at what Joshua did. And this speaks volumes to me. I'd like to preach just a message on this. Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. This is very interesting to me. We don't find that God commanded Joshua to do this. If you ask me in my opinion, which gives you the full right to reject it and disagree with me, but I'm going to give it to you here. I believe that something happened with Joshua as he watched those men carry those 12 stones to set up a a monument, a memorial to God that would be visible to human eyes, there was something that might have stirred in the heart of Joshua, says, I want to leave something that only the Lord will see. So he commanded that 12 rocks be removed from the banks, from the external part of the Jordan, and 12 rocks were laid there in the Jordan, and when those priests moved out with the ark and the waters covered it, there was only one set of eyes that would ever see those rocks, and those were divine eyes. God received from Joshua a memorial of gratitude and worship that said, Lord, this isn't for anybody's eyes but yours. I do this because I want you to know that we remember where your priest stood with your Ark of the Covenant and your presence, and we remember what you did. I leave you a memorial that is only for you. Nobody else can see it. It It's an act of devotion. We are growing in grace and Christ-likeness when our obedience is so intense that it breeds devotion, and our devotion is so authentic that we could care less, could not care less if any other person ever saw where we are with the Lord, what we do for the Lord, how we feel about the Lord. But we just bury some stones of memorial, and we say, Lord, this is for your eyes only. Friends, that is the heartbeat of worship. I love worshiping with you on Sunday. I love it. I like it on Wednesday. I like getting all laid out on Friday night and not knowing what to do. It was, it was great. It was glorious. But I'm going to tell you something. I, I fear that it would mean nothing if it wasn't real when nobody's looking. See, Worship ultimately is God and you sharing a moment together a moment where he is central and supreme. And in that same moment, you are humble and at rest because you know the central supreme God of all in that moment is giving you all of his affection and attention. And you just say, that's enough. That's enough. So Joshua performed an act that was intentionally and exclusively for the eyes of the Lord Jesus would say this he said it actually in a couple of different ways but he said don't do all that you do in the eyes in front of the eyes of people when you do that that's as much reward as you'll ever get whether it's our praying he said go into your prayer closet shut the door your father which hears you in secret is going to reward you openly did you know that Jesus taught that there's reward for private intercession and in prayer. We think of reward for winning souls, and there is. Reward for giving money, and there is. Jesus talked about rewarding those that pray in secret and intercede. There's something in that for you. He said, don't do your giving with, you know, a parade. You know, the old wind-up offering. It's time for the offering. Here we go. Woo. You know, sounding the trumpet is what it was called in Jesus's day. Uh, By the way, that may be why online giving might have an an appeal to a lot of people. They can give and nobody knows it except the one to whom they're giving. So there are all these things, but ultimately Joshua said, Lord, before we leave this place, I want to leave a memorial just for your eyes. And then the last thing. God grew them in their obedience and in their devotion, and then He grew them in their mission. Verse number 10. For the priest bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan, and everything was finished everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And I love this. The people passed over in haste. Watch this. It's one scene of national corporate obedience. They moved forward. They they wandered as one person, Israel, for 40 years. They wandered. They were delivered as one. They wandered as one. And now they crossed over as one. The priest, those intercessors, they had one role, and that was to stand completely still. They were hosting the presence of the Lord in the Ark of the Covenant, and the people were called to motor on over to the other side. As we close this morning, we need both. We need stillness in the presence of the Lord. And we need to make haste. We need to recognize that the window of opportunity for us to step into what God has for us as a people is not open-ended. There can be an expiration date on opportunities from the Lord. That is why it is incumbent upon the leaders in the kingdom to intentionally tarry in the presence of God so that we receive the wisdom not only about what to do but how to do it and when to do it. The leaders of New Bridge are giving a repeated clarion call and we're saying, God is moving us into a land that will flow with milk and honey. That's just an expression of there is great blessing for us and through us the right now effect, the next generation effect, and the forever effect. He's offering that to Newbridge right now. But we're also saying this, we need to move quickly on some things. Immediately, the question might arise, what are those things? I'm going to give you something here. All we know right now is that he's saying, I have parted the Jordan, I am on the other side, I want you all to cross over. There will be battles to fight, but you will inherit the promised land as you walk it out. That is how the promised land is received. It is received as we walk it out. So I want you to stand to your feet. We're not giving a formal invitation this morning. I want you to ponder these things. I want us to emulate The mother of Jesus, Mary, who treasured these things, stored them up in her heart. But I also want you to know that we believe, I'm sensing this so strongly, that this congregation is saying, Jeff, Dustin, elders, leaders, we'll cross over. We've got questions, but we know one thing. The questions don't carry more weight than the very real sense of God saying we're moving ahead. And we trust you as our leaders to fill in the gaps. As God gives you wisdom, we trust you to give communication. That's my commitment to you. That's Dustin's commitment to you. We're asking for you to commit your feet to walk through what God's opened up. So Father, in the name of Jesus on this Father's Day 2017, thank you for blessing this congregation. With steadfast hearts of endurance. Thank you for the obedience that characterizes this house. Thank you for the longings that you have placed in our hearts. Thank you for nicknaming this house the house of hunger, and we are still very, very hungry, Father. Jesus, you are Lord of all. Christos kurios, Christ is Lord. This is for you, so let us move in excellence. Give now wisdom where every, every place that it's needed, let there be wisdom. Where there is not clarity, let there be robust faith. We will not, Lord, live by explanations. We live according to promise, and so we listen to your voice. In Jesus' name, Amen.